Welcome to the Miss Teacher Mom podcast, where we seek to encourage and equip moms to raise our kids with eternity in mind by seeking men and women who have more experience and wisdom than us. Today we're talking to Ryan Fullerton. Ryan was our pastor at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Louisville while Ademi got his degree from Southern Seminary. I'm going to talk to Ryan today about the sanctity of life and what it looks like to love and value children in a culture that at best devalues them and at worst despises them. Pastor Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast with me today. My pleasure. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about the sanctity of life because when we went to your church, when we were members at Emmanuel, it was very clear that you were convicted and convinced that the church needs to speak out about the horrifying nature of abortion and the value and sanctity of life. Can you share more about your heart behind that? Yeah, I mean, I think I've, as long as I've been a Christian at least, have had some sense of uh, the fact that abortion was wrong and uh, even some of the arguments for why abortion was wrong. But there was uh, a time, a little over a decade ago, where I was preparing a sermon in January and I, th- I think there was probably just a number of uh, pro-life messages in my Facebook feed And that kind of led me to some late night exploring about what was really going on in abortion. And and honestly, some some things that were just very uh, striking to me, whether that was uh, pictures of a little embryo and just really recognizing concretely uh, what the Bible says is true, that the unborn really are uh, human beings who are fearfully and wonderfully being knit together in their mother's womb. And then, honestly, the realization that the, the killing of the unborn, which is it's, it's murder, I mean, to take a life that is not, uh, the, the only time taking a life is ever sanctioned in Scripture would be in, in cases of war and, or in capital punishment, but uh, to see taking of an innocent life uh, and really at a, uh, at a level that is at this point now six times the German Holocaust. So just recognizing that that was happening in my own backyard and and literally just a mile away from where our church building is at or was at at the time uh, made made me realize that it was not acceptable to be silent on on this issue and actually stories of uh, how so much of the German church was silent during Hitler's tyranny in World War II or leading up to World War II was just one more motivation to think, you know what, when I look back, Uh, from Judgment Day, when I look back historically, I I don't want to be among those who have been silent. Mm. Um, I think think another thing uh, that's just so important to realize is that the real tragedy of abortion is is not just that life is lost, but life made in the image of God is being assaulted. So you're, you're talking about not 60 million potential lives, but 60 million lives that uh, were made to display God's unique glory, each of them in their unique features and gifts and talents. And even if they were born into poverty in their unique circumstances, you're really talking about the the beauty and the glory of God uh, being snuffed out. And in a a generation where we get worked up about uh, a track of trees being torn down or a national park being given less funding, how much worse is the idea of the glory of God being displayed in a human being, being snuffed out. How, how much worse is that fact? So those, those kinds of thoughts 
uh, really led me to kind of make it an annual pattern to speak to the issue of abortion and really the issue of sanctity of life uh, to the congregation that I've pastored and then wherever else I've had an opportunity to speak on these issues. Yeah, I'm, I'm thankful to sit under those sermons. They were, they've been extremely helpful for me and my husband. And you guys have a very robust adoption ministry. And I'd love it if you could talk specifically about snowflake adoption um, quickly, because I know that a lot of people have never heard of it. And it specifically means a lot to me and my husband, because you're the one who introduced us to that idea. And we're actually currently in the adoption process for embryos. So I'd love it if you could just bring a bit of awareness to listeners who could consider this even for themselves. Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously, the initial uh, impulse to think about adoption uh, comes from, one, the Christian doctrine of adoption, that God has adopted us, and then, two, just our desire to care for widows and orphans, and children in need of adoption are are orphans, and then, uh, three, just also just the, the accusation that often comes against Christians that they want to preserve the life of the unborn, but then they leave them, leave them high and dry once they are born. And of course, nothing could be further from the truth. Christians are at the forefront of uh, helping uh, aborted-minded moms get GEDs and helping families get on their feet and just a myriad of ministries to uh, households that might have uh, otherwise have uh, aborted their child. Now, you mentioned uh, uh, snowflake adoption, and that's thrilling to hear. Uh, that that really came to my attention a number of years ago when I was uh, preaching a sermon. I think it was called Carefully and Consistently Pro-Life, and I had become aware of uh, a family at Emmanuel who had pursued in vitro fertilization or another family that was considering in vitro fertilization, and uh, I desired to speak to that. What happens in intro, in vitro fertilization is that uh, a sperm, multiple sperm are taken from a man and then multiple mature eggs are taken from a woman and they are combined into multiple fetuses. And, and then many fetuses are implanted in, in, in a woman, often the woman, but not always the woman whose eggs they were, are then implanted in a woman. But in the process of that, multiple, multiple, and at this point, thousands and tens of thousands of uh, embryos are left in freezers and are, are really, in, in one sense, left in case their parents ever take an interest in them, but in a real, very real sense, are, are left to die. And uh, snowflake adoption is the process, is the, really the, the pattern of recognizing that those embryos are real people, and then couples take it upon themselves to have one of those or multiple of those embryos implanted, and, and then to bring that child to term and really see that life get to breathe and run and dance and play. Those lives in and of themselves have all the worth and dignity uh, of any other human life and and to rescue them uh, from what would otherwise be a certain death and and even to bring them to a full term in pregnancy and then to uh, raise them as children who are meant to obey God. I think it's just a glorious thing. Yeah, I think a lot of people have never heard of snowflake adoption and... Um, just through you mentioning it, that's how I've heard of it. And we've since been able to really advocate for that option. Um, my yeah, husband and great. I don't have infertility. So people are often surprised that we'd consider doing this if we can have kids naturally. Yeah. But we're really seeing it in, the, in that lens that if we believe that these are children and they are valued by God, then we want to give them an opportunity to live. 
absolutely and, and display the glory of God through their lives. And yeah, so I'd, I'd really encourage others, whether you struggle with infertility or not, to, to look into snowflake adoption because there is a really great need for that. As you mentioned, thousands and thousands of embryos and freezers and the Holocaust, if you will, that abortion is, um, those two things really clearly demonstrate the lack of value that our culture has on children in general. And I'd really love to land there for a bit. I think you'd agree that our secular culture not only dehumanizes the unborn, but also disregards and devalues children as a whole. Um, so yeah. how can Christian parents, in addition to speaking out against abortion and being pro-life in regards to our care for orphans and young mothers, how can we also actively and intentionally show the world in our own children that they do indeed matter a great deal? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I mean, it is our secular culture that devalues children, but it's actually every culture that's ever existed apart from the culture that Christ creates. Uh, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say every culture. There are Mormon cultures and whatnot that will value children, but many cultures have devalued uh, children. So, for example, uh, even the child sacrifice in the, in the Old Testament, and Michael Card uh, in one of his songs points out that uh, sacrifice your children and for you it will go well is the spirit of the age. There's always been this spirit that says if you uh, get rid of your child, then it will go better for you. And of course, at a very immediate level, that's true. Uh, at a very immediate level, it is a fact that if you do not have children, you will be able to run and dance and play and do whatever your heart desires without any hindrance. The, the call to have children is a call to die. It's a call to die to yourself and to invest in the life of another. But of course, that's right at the center of the Christian gospel, where Jesus, when he calls us to repent and believe, is calling us to die to ourselves and to give ourselves to another. I think the, the way that Christians value children is really very simple. They have them. Uh, first and foremost, <laughs> is just a commitment to have children. We have uh, the same kind of constantly delayed marriages and then constantly delayed uh, uh, childbearing. And again, I'm not against delaying marriage in and of itself, and I'm not against delaying uh, childbearing in and of itself, but we have a, we've bought into so much of the culture that, that, that really trumpets the lie that real life is found when you're single and real life is found really when you and your spouse can do whatever you want apart from children. And so I would just say the first primary thing we can do to celebrate the value of life is to have babies. Uh, the second thing, once we've, we've had babies and just really celebrate them and welcome them, is to recognize that they aren't automatically a blessing. Uh, someone said, you know, children are a blessing from the Lord, but that by itself is not true. That is not the whole truth. Children actually can be the grief of their parents. They can be God's curse in your life. They can be absolutely miserable. The children that we have have to be raised. They have to be taught in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, just giving them life doesn't guarantee anything. What, what we want to do is, is have children and then obey Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, which says that fathers are to teach their children in the nurtured admonition of the Lord. And of course, when we go back to Proverbs, we get fathers and mothers both linked in that task of teaching and instructing their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And uh, sometimes Christians... Uh, you know, they get, they get really complicated about this, and they, they make parenting something that's like rocket science. 
But you, you really just need to be a decent Christian at home. That's, that's the most important thing is to be a a spirit-filled Christian at home who, when they do sin, repents of their sins and seeks to walk in righteousness. Uh, You you don't need to be a perfect person. People have been having babies for all kinds of years, and lo and behold, they they all grow up uh, many, many times. And and the most important thing we can do to express that kid's value is by teaching them about Jesus and living a real and consistent and true and repentant Christian life in front of them. I think adoption is also a way we can display uh, the value of life. Overall, I I don't think the expression of the value of life is really a complicated thing so much as it's a return to basics. It's a glorious thing to get married. It's a glorious thing to pursue having children. It's no waste of your time to then teach them about Jesus and really invest in them for the uh, 20 or so years that you may have them, or maybe the 18 years that you have them in your home. Mm. Yeah, I really, I think that's helpful. Yeah, having children, that's a good one. And I think once you have them, it's, um, you made a good point that having children is a call to die. And it's not just a call to die when you have them. It's the call to die all the time. It's to say, mm-hmm. for the rest of my life, you are worth dying for. Yeah, Every time I, I put down my phone and if I choose to stay home and not make an income or if dad chooses to give his Saturdays to his family instead of video games and fooling around with his buddies. Like every time we die to ourselves for, for love for them, we're showing them that you, you matter. Amen. Yeah. As we close, I would love to ask you if you have any words of wisdom or encouragement that you'd like to share with moms who are seeking to raise their kids with eternity in mind. Well, I think I would, I would just say uh, to this generation of moms, just to really recognize that this is a, this is a good work. Focusing on children, it is absolutely stunning what the Bible says to women about the childbearing years. It says uh, in uh, 1 Timothy 2.15, it says, Yet she shall be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Now, what on earth does that mean? Does that mean if you have a baby, you go to heaven? She shall be saved through childbearing? Of course, it can't mean that. We know that salvation is by grace through faith and not of works. But I think it means something very similar to what Paul said when he said, Woe unto me, or damned am I. Woe is me. Woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel. He understood that as a preacher of the gospel, he had to fulfill his calling. He could not just abandon his calling and, and, and consider himself someone who was walking in a way of salvation. And similarly, Paul says here, Yet she will be saved through childbearing. Not that she gets saved but she walks in the path of salvation. She works at her salvation with fear and trembling through childbearing. If she continues in faith, love, and holiness with self-control, and that really gets back to that dying to self we talked about earlier. It's not just if she has a few children, it's if she has them and she continues in a path of trusting God, of loving her husband and children, and being devoted to God in holiness, and being self-controlled, like you said, that would put down your phone, and would care for your children. So this isn't just good for society, though it is. I love the saying, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Mm-hmm. This isn't just good for the church because the children of the next generation. This is good because God wants to work out his salvation through us in exactly that context. One of the things that I think the modern church often misses is that God doesn't just to say, decide who gets saved and how they get saved, but he actually decides where we will actually work out our salvation. He sets the circumstances of it. He sets the the gender 
where we will work out our salvation. And he actually calls us into uh, his salvation in particular places. And he's made it very clear about his will. She shall be saved through childbearing. Uh, Caitlin, I'm saying all this to say this is a really good and important and biblical task. If you wind up not being able to do certain ministries at the church because of the needs of your children, if you wind up not being able to have the ultimate income because of the needs of your children, if nobody recognizes who you are and you have to wait 10, 20, 30 years till your children rise up and call you blessed, this is a good thing. This is a good work. God is pleased with this. God loves this work. And all of the little dying to yourself in the midst of changing diapers and being thrown up on, and then in later years, uh, having conversations where it doesn't feel like anyone's listening. All of this is, is good work that's pleasing to God. And, and we need to understand that um, we, need, we need God's focus on this if we're ever going to overcome the constant temptations that are coming from all around us that say, this is not worthwhile, this is, uh, this is useless. The old country song has the mom at home looking out the window saying she's looking out the window and wondering if there's life out there. Well, that's irrelevant. There's life there in the home with the kids. That is real, real life. What a really sweet place to end. Thank you so much, Ryan, for your time. My pleasure. Ladies, I hope that you have been encouraged by Ryan's exhortation that you are indeed doing a very important work as you raise your children, dying to yourself to show them that they are indeed valued by you and by the Almighty God who has made them in His image. If this episode has been helpful to you, could you please write a review for other moms and share this podcast with your friends? For more information and the show notes, check out MissTeacherMom.com and please join us next week for the Miss Teacher Mom podcast.